Welcome back to Personalization Outbreak Podcast, a place where we have real conversations about the changing world of work. Now, in today's episode, we'll discuss the importance of diversity and inclusion in the workplace and how it can benefit your organization. Now, as we all know, right now, diversity and inclusion is a hot topic, but what does it actually mean? Why is it so important and why should organizations care? See, our guest today is Tyrone Studemeyer, the Global Vice President of DEI for Hyatt Hotel Corporation. Now, Tyrone is a nationally recognized executive, highly sought after speaker who is committed to support nonprofit organizations whose missions are to advance equity, equality, and the representation of Black and Brown populations. Now, in this interview, we'll discuss the benefits of diversity and inclusion and why it can help your organization grow. So before we get started, please click the like button below, share it with your colleagues, and subscribe to our YouTube channel and social media at Glen Yopis. Let's get started. The 2022 season of Personalization Outbreak Podcast is brought to you by City of Hope, a world leader in the research and treatment of cancer, diabetes, and other life-threatening diseases. City of Hope has been ranked among the nation's best hospitals in cancer by U.S. News and World Report for over a decade. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org. You are listening to Personalization Outbreak, a podcast about the collapse of traditional corporate standards in today's more personalized world. I'm Glenn Yopis. I'm a leadership strategist, author, contributor to Forbes, and founder of the Leadership in the Age of Personalization movement. On this show, I'm interviewing executives across multiple sectors to find out how the balance between standardization and personalization can exist. Tyrone, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you. Hey, Glenn, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure spending time with you, and you really encourage me to think beyond the limits, and, and we have a good dialogue, so thank you. No, I appreciate that very much, uh, Tyrone. So, Tyrone, let, let's start our conversation with one that, quite candidly, I've been curious about for some time, even though I think I know the answer, but why does DE&I matter so much to you? You know, that, that's a great question. I get that question all the time. It matters a lot to me because I am diverse. I come from a diverse background. My parents were born and raised in the South, um, moved to Michigan for a better life. I think that the more diverse we are, the more we're able to see the world and experience great things. Oftentimes, people think diversity is a problem to resolve versus a difference to leverage. We all are different, and leveraging our differences puts us in a very good space. So I enjoy diversity. I, I think it's a great thing. It's a great, it's a business imperative, but it's all a great, you know, being more diverse helps us to see things and experience things that we don't ever experience. It, it broadens our worldview. And I'm a firm believer that the broader our world, worldview, more likely we are to cease problems and resolve conflicts in ways that maximize those differences. I love that. So when, I mean, let's think, let's rewind the clock a bit here, uh, Tyrone. Do you think that there was something that either you experienced in your childhood or as you were becoming a young adult uh, that made you much more curious about the world because of your diversity? You know, absolutely. That's a, that's, that's a very good question. It goes back to 
I was born and raised in Michigan. We moved from the inner city to the suburbs. We were the mm-hmm. first black family to live in an all white community. I'm a product of the late 60s and 70s. And I was in, you know, entering the third grade and my parents moving from a community where everybody looked like me, talked like me, act like me and we ate the same kind of foods and same type of activities to a community where no one looked like me. And we weren't welcome and accepted in that community. It was right when Martin Luther King was fighting for integration and we were the first courageous encourage uh, a family to move into an all white community. They drove lawns, their cars across our lawn. They threw eggs at our window. They threw trash and a lot. We weren't welcome into the community. But Glenn, there was a glimmer of hope. It was a couple by the name of Wally and Laura. They lived on the corner. They were empty nesters. Uh, they were your, 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 your traditional leave it to beaver family where Laura wore the poodle skirts, the apron, the high heel shoes, the curls, and the coiffed hair. She was a baker. She was always baking something and sitting in the windowsill. You could smell it in the neighborhood. And while he was cutting this grass, and you know, if you're on a corner, you have like an extra lot. And he was trimming bushes and always doing something in the garage. They came over after one day. They, would, they, they had trashed our lawn to help us clean up our lawn. And they rang the doorbell. And I ran to the door as a kid. And Laura had apple pie and chocolate chip cookies. She welcomed us and apologized and offered to help us clean up our yard. And I took the cookies and ran back. My, my mother and father said, now they're trying to poison us. Oh, my God, they're trying to poison us. It's always something there because it was, a, it was a trust factor, not being welcome. Well, that actually followed me the rest of my life. Hmm. I always was the only one of. And I remember that Wally and Laura volunteered to take me to school. My mother worked midnights. My father worked days. He says, when your mom gets home, he said, we'll, we try, we'll take Tyrone to school. Take me to school, drop me off, pat me on the head and say, son, we'll be back to get you at 3.15. They came back. They picked me up, came home. We had dinner. And my parents asked me one question. How did they make you feel? They didn't ask what I learned. They didn't ask who I met. They didn't ask my teacher's name. How did they make you feel? And I didn't know how to respond. I said, pretty good. And I'm going back tomorrow. Well, the same thing happened on tomorrow. Laura and Wally came dropped me off. Laura gave me a lunch with cookies and, and a sandwich in it. And uh, that was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. My father picks me up from school at 3.15. He comes to the school. He comes to class. He says, I'm here to pick up my son. And he says, we don't have any black kids here. Huh. They assumed that I was this little kid from India that, that Wally and Lori had adopted. And even until they actually called the police on my father, because they thought he was some, 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 some child molester or something, whatever, because they were no black kids, because they often they thought that I was from India. That happened when I went on to school. I was always the only black one in class. I was the only black one in college, the first black to be hired. That pattern followed me the whole, my whole journey. So looking at being different and being treated different was something I had to learn how to navigate in the third grade. And I've been navigating ever since. So this is really my purpose and my calling. You asked why it was important. It's important to me because I think this is what I was placed on this earth to help bridge the gap on difference, to eliminate and to focus on eradicating racism, to focus on educating others and create mutual adaptation where we learn from one another. Bias is really incomplete stories about us all. We see what's on social media, what's in the news and bad interactions with whether it's Latino, or Asian, Black, Latino, whatever it may be, and that becomes a narrative. Right. We have to get to know each other. And I think that's the success of it. Getting to know Wally and Laura, I will remember them for the rest of my life. No question. Well, this is what the age of personalization is all about. Right. Do you see me? Do you know me? At first, you questioned whether they were seeing you or knowing you the right way. And then over time, you began to trust them 
because they finally made you feel as if you were known. Hmm? You were somebody, you were known, you were a voice in the wilderness, right? And then, you know, one funny story, I was, I was interviewed the other day, Gwen, and um, they were talking about law enforcement and police and, you know, Blue Lives Matter. When I was growing up, when I met Officer Friendly, I believed him. He was, mm-hmm. it was a career day and Officer Friendly would come and talk about safety. But as I grew up and I began to, to, to um, I moved to Chicago driving a black Mercedes from Chicago to Lincolnshire and Lincolnshire is next to Lake Forest, which is one of the most prestigious communities in our country. I was stopped by the police every single day. Officer Friendly moved from Officer Friendly, who I knew, to someone who was actually very abusive towards me, very hostile towards me. Whose car are you driving? Why are you out here? How long will you be in this community? You know, pulling me up for, for no reason. Officer, why did you pull me over? There was no reason mm-hmm. other than that I was driving by black. Again, what I was taught earlier became very different when I became an adult in a very urban community, moved from an urban community into a suburbs where I wasn't again welcome. So it brought back all the memories when I, and, I, and so how I navigated then, I had to learn to navigate as an adult driving while black. Well, fortunately, you have the wisdom now and know what to do. And it's through the work that you can do is to help others get out in front of these things so that they don't uh, go through their lives feeling as if they're never welcome. Never welcome. That is or, true. Or, or, or feeling as if they were welcomed for a reason that they didn't stand for. So I love that story. And I think it really takes us to kind of the where we're going in this discussion now, Tyrone, is now you and I have talked you know, offline about how organizations need to quickly get out in front of things that they've ignored in the past. And we all know that DE&I is one of those things. So why do you think that DE&I is a growth strategy? And how do we stop leading DE&I as a cost center? Well, you, you know, I, I think people saw their money to be made. Your consumers are changing, right? Their demand is changing. The supply is changing. Where you're getting products from, all that's changing is very diverse. So companies that get in front of that will gain the market share. It's just that simple to me. It, it, it's very simple. People think that diversity is a problem to, you know, uh, to, to solve. It's a difference to leverage. How do we leverage those differences for the greater good of, of us all? We look at the demographics and demographics are shifting right in front of our very eyes. But what people are constantly missing, Glenn, is that the faster demographic or demographic is not Latinos, it's not black, it's not Asian, it's people with disabilities because of the aging population. And you have more baby boomers who have not transitioned out because they can't afford to, right? And this, this, this disability cuts across all demographics and genders and orientation. There is, it doesn't, disability does not exclude anyone in that process. So not knowing the data, not understanding who your consumers are, not understanding um, how this work will impact the future of your business is a miss for most organizations. But but why? It seems to me that we still view DE and I as this uh, this function that if we need to cut budgets, we're going to cut you know DE and I, much like they cut in HR. In other words, people oftentimes don't see the real value, and it's looked like a cost center. So that is that is so true, Glenn. And I, I'm sorry to cut you off. That is no, so no. very true. And I think the reality is that you know diversity is the only function that has to define its strategy and its its well being every six months to a year. You're constantly defining what does it mean, what does it mean. It actually has to be a part of the DNA. It has to be part of the values and the mission of the organization. It just can't be standalone. It can't be bolted on. 
Because once it does it falls off, it doesn't, you have to embed it in so people see the benefits of it. But that is a natural reaction is that we don't need this. But, but believe me, you, you, everyone needs it more than they can recognize. And we Absolutely. saw that during the, 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 the assassination of George Floyd. Well, and that takes me to, to this question. I mean, while the murder of George Floyd sparked, you know, this much needed global awareness around social injustice, I'm curious, how would you actually evaluate the progress uh, that we've made since then uh, regarding DEI within large institutions? So that, that's a good question. And I will tell you, here, 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 here's what I'm saying. We saw that roughly corporations either reacted or responded to the assassination, murder, death of George Floyd. And by the way, so give those, me the example of both. Just of for both. Our I, yep, so those who reacted gave made pledges. We're going to give money. And, and the last quote I heard was $65 billion were committed by corporations, and only 1% of those corporations have delivered on that $65 million. Where's the money? Who knows? That's a good question, right? Where did the money go? What did we do with the money? Where's the progress from the money? We've not seen the results thereof in the last two years. There's a very marginal growth, right? I believe that corporate America has the will, they don't have the skill. These are systematic issues that require systematic uh, solutions to close the gap. So it's just not writing a check to the Urban League or the NAACP, it is actually, who are you spending and buying from? If you want to really change, I think we talk about diversity, we talk about you know, inclusion, but when we talk about equity, mm. people get equality confused with equity. Mm -hmm. Right, equity is meeting people where they are. Equality is just giving everybody the same. Well, we gave them all the same opportunity, right? We posted the jobs. We opened up for everyone to be interviewed by the jobs, right? So why should we do anything different? But, but Glenn, if I were to give, if I were had, had four individuals and I gave all four of them a bicycle, I gave them the same bike, the same seat, the same handlebars, the wheels, etc. But there's a little kid that can't get on the seat. He can't reach the pedal. <laughs> There's a woman who's riding very comfortable. She has a help. She even has has a a a hat on to protect her head. There's a six foot tall guy who knees are hitting the handlebars. He's bent over and he's very uncomfortable. And my God, there's a woman in a wheelchair who can't even get on the bike. That's what we're talking about meeting people where they are. It's being is what is how do how do we meet them from an equality perspective to give each people what they need. That's going to be tough for corporations to be able to get their arms around because it's like a zero sum gain. If I have to give up something for someone else, but the sheer numbers are so far behind. Most corporations have had marginal change in their leadership. We've seen some promotions. We doubled the representation of corporate corporate America today, right? With the, over the last two years, but that number is like double twenty eight percent, right? From twelve, but the reality twenty four. But the reality on that is that that's only one or two people. So we can talk about the percentages, but the sheer numbers yeah. have not changed. Well, also, I mean, I, I learned that uh, recently that in the insurance industry, for every 40 diverse people they hired, they lost 30 before the year, within a year. Yep. So we've yeah, got the, the, da the data doesn't lie. In the financial world, it says the data doesn't lie and nothing speaks louder than zero. More than 50 million people left their current employer this year. That's right. We're just going into second quarter, right? That's a lot. In, in August of last year, 6.8 million people left their employer in one month. A lot of it had to do with diversity, inclusion, had to do with well-being, 
It has to do with social justice. A lot of things, if I'm going to work you know, this hard, I'm going to work for myself. There's a lot of different things that occurred. And you know, the number is still just like 80 million baby boomers are going to retire out by 2025. That number is growing every single day. The next generation of workers are 40 million. There's a shortfall of 40 million qualified workers right there. Now you're talking about looking at from a diversity perspective and an industry perspective, right? Where's the talent coming from? When you get those who are incarcerated, and a study shows the other day that, you know, everyone by, by I'm, I don't want to quote this stat, but something around that all of us will have some type of um, criminal background with something of the, I think a third of people, whatever the number was, but there's a, that is going to continue to grow. So how we do background checks and how we want people going to be very, very different and where that talent pool is coming from. Those who are re-entering into the workforce is a huge number, right? So where we go to get talent is going to be very different. How we onboard talent and how we prepare the organization to move beyond our bias to look at that talent as talent be able to be viable in our businesses is going to be very different. Yeah. So, so Tyler, the, the more I listen to you, the more um, I believe that we need to be focusing on a few, a couple of things. I'd like to get your thoughts on this. First of all, let me start with this question. Do you think that the issue of social impact and then social impact and diversity is different than solving for inclusion? My, my whole point is that yeah. I'm often wondering what is what? Because we tend to mix a lot of these issues that are interrelated, but I often think that some of them need their own focus. Like, for example, I don't believe that inclusion in diversity, I don't believe that diversity is the only thing that's related to inclusion. Inclusion is, requires operational inclusion. It affects everything we do as an organization, and we see yep. this every day. So do you think there's limitations in how we're categorizing and defining the role as a whole? Or do you see several different roles being part of solving the larger pie? I think it's a little bit of everything you just described. And I want to say that diversity without inclusion leads to confusion. If we only focus on inclusion, who are, we being, who are we including if we don't have diversity? So again, language and, and words are very, very important to what we need to do. And I think that people are now looking at, you know, belonging. I just want to be able to belong. Well, who are you belonging with if everybody's the same? So again, if people are looking for shortcuts, people yeah. are looking for ways to get to things that makes them more, more comfortable for themselves than that of others. If you are not, if you are, if you are comfortable in this work, you are not doing your job. Exactly. I am uncomfortable every single day yeah. in the job that I do because one, I could be offending someone. I might not, um, I might, might say the wrong thing. I might trigger. This is not easy work. This is not for the meek and the humble. This is really tough work that most people want to avoid or withdraw. I've coined the phrase will versus skill. People have the will to really want to do good, but it's the skill required to do it. And that skill is different. Yeah. Well, this kind of goes back to what we saw in 2020 with the pandemic and, and the murder of George Floyd, that we clearly saw the limitations of outdated standards. They were exposed. But yes. these systems were not prepared for Black Lives Matter and other movements. Do you think this means that our leaders aren't prepared today because they were, in fact, relegated to follow old, outdated standards to really solve for modern day societal issues? I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's where I go back to skill versus will. We've got to build a skill set, first of all, starting with educating one another on what is culture, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah. I define culture as the behavior interpretation of how a community 
lives out its values to thrive and to strive. Glenn, it's messages that your mama may have taught you may be very different than the messages my mother taught me. Yeah. The way we're going to solve problems and solve conflicts is really based upon our cultural backgrounds and our beliefs. Things that we actually was exposed to earlier on that we carry into adulthood. For example, on the onset as children, our most informative years between five and eight, we're told that diversity is, the difference is bad. We're told to minimize it. For example, when you go into the community and a child sees someone that's different, whether it's a homeless person, whether it's a person that's disabled, or someone that speaks a different language, their first interaction is to impulse is to stare. They're trying to figure it out. I've never seen, I'm saying, where's this man legs? I have two, he doesn't. So they're trying to figure it out. Why is this person sleeping on the street? They're staring. And we lean over and says, sweetie, it's not polite to stare. Honey, we can't stare. So in the onset, we tell, we tell our kids that the difference is bad. We then fast track into corporate America. We told Dr. about race, gender, orientation, politics, or religion. Right? Again, indication that something is we were avoiding, we can't deal with it. But today, all those things that were beneath the iceberg theory that we use from HR for underdice is at the, is, is above sea level now. They're right in front of us, and we're not equipped or skilled to deal effectively without some intervention, without some training, without some conversations. And we have to lead, we got to, first of all, in any cross-cultural situation, we have to first assume positive intent. There must be a reason why Glenn is asking this question. There must be a reason why Glenn is behaving this way, right? And after assuming positive intent, we got to seek to understand. We got to have enough courage and be vulnerable enough to ask questions about things that we don't know. Most leaders walk around as if they know everything. A good leader will surround themselves with people who are smarter than they are and help to give them the freedom to be able to expose them, to get them out and to share. So it's a different, it's a different paradigm. It's a different yep. shift. And people are, 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 are struggling with how to really, how, how to, it, it, it's how it manifests itself in us, in our organization. Yeah, well, it's really interesting you say these things because even when you think of the, the standards that we were raised on or the institutional standards that we learned uh, growing up and even now in, in uh, in our, in our work lives. I mean, we weren't encouraged to uh, seek new or contrary voices, right? No. You, know, you know, Glenn, if I go back to my early childhood, when I saw, when we were moving from the city to the suburbs, what detrailed me, the, what, what upset me the most is that all the Friday 13th movies and Freddy Krueger was all in yeah. the suburbs. I thought I was going to be killed when I moved to the suburbs. That was my orientation as a child, right? That's all I knew which was quite the opposite. It was television, right? It was TV, but that was the, that's what I saw. That was how I would feel. And then to go and be treated the way we were treated, affirmed that it was not the right place for Black folks. You know, it, it's, uh, it's incredible how a lot of these things could have been avoided. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I absolutely. mean, and yet uh, now uh, they're at a premium and we don't know what to do with them. And then we politicize them and then we create polarization. I mean, what a waste of time. What a waste um, of time. Being polarization on the defensive, you know, being defensive in polarization, right? I'm defending yeah, right, I am right, the primary exactly. coach. What exactly. I say matters. I'm better than you, you know. Pull, right. you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Well, let me be clear. Some people have moccasins and not boots. And some people have no shoes. So let's <laughs> just some great one-liners, Tyrone. Man. I got to hand it to you. So, so Tyrone, if we're, as we're getting to the close here, can you give us a sense of what you believe are the most immediate opportunities to advance the DEI agenda? What should organizations prioritize? I think organizations need to assess their current state. 
I think corporations should reevaluate their purpose, their mission, their vision, right? And be aspirational about the workforce, the workplace, and the marketplace, where they're going to get talent, how they're developing talent. There's some things that we're doing at Hyatt where we're going into schools and rewriting curriculum, being adjunct lecturers, right? Providing certificates around sales or, or, or things in IT or analytics, right? Doing some things differently for those schools, universities to educate um, the youth. I think starting with themselves, understand myself first, be true to who I am and what I represent. It starts with me first. It's all about me understanding myself first and what has shaped my worldviews. It's all about you understanding from your perspective not from my perspective, but how you view the world and how you make decisions. Assuming positive intent and reason why, and then three, how to work collectively across our differences. Because in all due respect in organizations, you have the organization culture, you have the functional culture, finance has its culture, marketing has its culture, technology has its culture. So there's conflict that occurs not to include race, gender, and orientation within an organization. So stop and evaluate, ask the tough questions. Are we creating an environment where people can be their full authentic self? Are we vulnerable enough as leaders to listen? And by God, bend over and not, in, you know, we say we want to walk in someone else's shoes. We got to have enough courage to bend over and put them on. But only say we're going to walk in someone else's shoes. And then we need to check and understand and recheck and be kind and courteous and curious enough about making change for, for the organization and look around and say, who's missing? Who am I not including? Who have I left out of the equation? What am I missing from a learning perspective? How much, how brighter could we be? Society shows you can Google and see all the mistakes that corporations have made because they didn't have a diverse team or they weren't conscious enough or they had one person that probably wasn't courageous enough to speak up to say, you don't put that advertising out because when you do, it's going to polarize the environment. You're going to be in trouble. We see more of that happening today. People are taking white images and putting black faces on white imaging without the cultural context. So it's falling flat. Good intentions, very good intentions, but uneducated intentions that will cause issues that will put us further back than taking us forward. Well, and I think that you know you've triggered uh, so much. And you know, I'll, I'll my two cents are that we have to ask and be able to answer five questions: Who do you let in? How do you see those you let in? Who do you let them be? What do you let them do? How do you let them do it? And those are, those are great rules to follow. And, and listen, very simple. You can't simple. complicate this work. Very simple. It's a simple message that we put out and people can grab a hold to it. You know, I remember our CEO says, Tyrone, how would I know we know that Change Starts Here, our initiative would work? I said, when the doorman can say, he understands Change Starts Here, we got it. And I got that wish. I went down to Atlanta and one of our doormen says, Mr. Tyrone, Change Starts Here. You, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's contagious. We all get involved with it. We all make a difference. And I think that's where it's working collectively together is, is, is one of the solutions. It's not divide and conquer. It's not separate. It, it is how do we listen, actively listen, and take action and stop assuming people are complaining and understand they're trying to explain. Because when they stop explaining, they're out. Tyrone, it's been a pleasure, man. I could talk to you for hours. Phenomenal. You've got so much. You, it's clear that this is part of your central ethos. And I just want to thank you for not just being on the show, but more so for the patience and will that you have to move your vision forward and mobilize a level of change that is so desperately needed. So 
Tyrone, thank you so much for everything that you do uh, and really appreciate you. Ben, thank you and keep doing what you're doing because it's these types of conversations that brings us forward. It gives us a safe place to be our full authentic self and share and learn together. So keep up the good work, my brother. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. And as we always end the show, when you lead in the age of personalization, you will see things that others don't. Do what others won't and keep pushing when prudence says quit. Thank you, Tyrone. We'll talk Thank soon. Thank you, Clint. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Personalization Outbreak. Make sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. If you enjoyed the content, visit ageofpersonalization.com to check out our free streaming video series and learn how to get involved in the movement. I'm Glenn Yopis. I wish you a good day. And remember, without strategy, change is merely substitution, not evolution. Learn more about City of Hope at cityofhope.org.